Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Cuyahoga Valley Church again. And uh, also, if you are a guest, we're just glad you're here. We hope that uh, today will be encouraging for you and that you'll enjoy your time. If you're viewing online, we're glad that you're tuning in. Also, hope that this time will be encouraging for you. You know, uh, over this last week, I've been in touch with a few of my friends living over in California. And throughout the course of our conversation, uh, one of the topics that kept coming up was the drought. I don't know if you're aware of this. California is going into its uh, fourth... Um, dry season. And so there is actually extreme drought conditions taking place in California right now. Uh, the, the reservoirs are drying up. Uh, some of the reservoirs are being drained to provide water. Uh, they're starting to go into ma- massive um, uh, water restrictions and, and reallocation, you know, things going on taking place right now. There are some communities already starting to truck uh, drinking water into the communities. And so California is going through a hard time with water. And it's the implications, obviously, of a state that provides a lot of agriculture for the rest of the nation are, are pretty huge because we know that if the land is parched, if the land is dry, it's not going to produce life. We also know in the same way, if our bodies are parched, (laughs) they can't live. They're not going to have life. And in the same way, if our souls are parched, if our souls are dry, it's not going to provide life either. We, We need spiritual hydration in the same way that we need physical hydration in our life. And so this is a concept that we understand and that we know and that we feel in our life. And so I still remember, for me, on the spiritual level, where I was when I was spiritually parched, spiritually dry, and I wasn't raised in a home that went to church or had spiritual nourishment and and spiritual hydration in it. And so I basically went out in the world, like many of you, just looking for satisfaction and fulfillment to, to quench this thirst, quench this longing that I had in my life, and everything only provided a little bit of satisfaction and then was gone, and just it never quenched the thirst until I met Jesus Christ. And once I met Jesus Christ and and understood uh, who he was as God in the flesh, I understood that he died on the cross for my sins. I understand that he rose from the grave to conquer death and give victory over sin. And I yielded my life to Jesus. I started drinking from the living water. And he quenched my soul. And he quenched that longing. And he quenched that thirst. And he gave me new life. And he gave me eternal life. And many of you can testify to that in your life as well. Some of you might be sitting here today and you have a spiritual longing. That's why you're here. You're you're thirsty spiritually. You've been drinking from the the water fountains and the wells of the world and they're not really satisfying. And maybe I'll try church or, you know, let me check this God thing out. In the same way, if you come to that realization that Jesus is the living water and you drink from him, you can experience life. You know, we've been going through this series uh, called Never the Same and we've been looking at people who had encounters with Jesus, and they were transformed by those encounters. They were were never the same. And today we're going to look at a woman who comes with a spiritual thirst. She thinks she's got just a physical thirst, but there's a spiritual thirst taking place. And she encounters Jesus, and she's never going to be the same. And the one big idea that I really want us to grab a hold of today is this, is that the thirsty soul drinks and the satisfied soul drinks shares. I think as we move through our day, that will make even more and more sense as we go through our morning. So I want to invite you right now to open up your Bibles to the book of John chapter 4. 
And uh, hopefully you have a Bible with you. If you don't, maybe you have a Bible application on your device. Uh, there are going to be uh, verses on the screens here. And if you're here today and you don't actually have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free as a gift on your way out. Grab one so you can have your own Bible. But everyone turn to John chapter 4. And we're going to find out a little bit more about how the thirsty soul drinks and the satisfied soul shares by looking at the life of this woman from Samaria that encounters Jesus at a well. Now, as you're turning to John chapter 4, I'm just going to really paraphrase and summarize what takes place in the first six verses. Because this is a pretty lengthy little passage. We're not going to read every verse. I'm going to zoom in and out at different points. Uh, basically, when you look at the first six verses, what you find is that uh, Jesus was leaving the region of Judea, and he was going to go into Galilee up north. And sometimes Jews would go around the sides, you know, of Samaria. But in this case, Jesus was going to go right through Samaria to get to Galilee. Now, by the way, just a little side note, uh, you'll find some save the dates in your program because some of you might actually be stepping foot in Galilee in 16 months. CVC is going to take its first Israel trip in 16 months. So some of you might actually get a chance to go to Galilee. But that's just a side note. Save the dates are in your program. Um, and so he's going to Galilee. And on the way to Galilee, he's going through Samaria. He's going to stop at this town called Sychar. And there's a historical and significant well there uh, called Jacob's Well that Jacob himself uh, built, you know, the man who God turned his name into Israel. And he's there at this well, which, by the way, is still there. There's a church there uh, in modern-day Nabulus in the West Bank that if you were to go there, they built a church around this thing. It's there in the crypt. That's actually Jacob's well. Uh, you can still go and draw water from that and sip it. It's kind of an interesting uh, thing to do. I, I've never done that, but I know it's available. And as Jesus went to this well... It was about noon, and he had sent the disciples on to get some food. And so he's sitting by himself at this well, resting from the journey. And that's where we dive in in John chapter 4, verse 7, and pick it up. And here's what we see. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Hey, let's pray together. God, as we unfold the pages of your word, and as we look at this amazing encounter between you and this woman of Samaria, there's so much to learn. There's so much to pick up on. Lord, there's so much to, to challenge us and to change us. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, no matter where we're at in our spiritual journeys, will, will sit and will take in and will listen and will learn. And God, would you make us never the same? 
Would you transform us because we were with you today and in your word? God, for those who have a relationship with you, would you enrich that relationship? Would you motivate us to continue to be on mission? God, for anyone here today watching online or here in this room, God, that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, would you use us to stir our souls, to make us aware of the spiritual thirst that's needed that only you can satisfy? So we lay this at your feet in this prayer. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Now, I want to learn as much as we can uh, in the limited time that we have from this passage, because there's a lot of beautiful things here. And I want to do it by just basically asking two questions. First question is this, how are we like this woman? And the second is, how can we be like Jesus? How are we a lot like this woman from Samaria, but also how can we become more like Jesus based on what we see in this interaction? Well, how do we become, or, or how are we more like the woman at the well? Well, here's four identifiers I think we can relate to. One, she's got brokenness. She has brokenness. She is alone at noon drawing water from a well. If you know anything about the social and the cultural customs of the day, that's just not typical. Usually when someone went to the well, they would either go in the morning or they would go in the evening when it's cooler. They wouldn't go in the middle of the day when it's scorching hot in the Middle East. Secondly, they wouldn't go by themselves. It was like, let's go get a water party, you know? And so they would grab their buddies and and they would go and, and, and do it together and make it more of a social activity often. So why is this woman here at the hottest point of the day with no one with her? Well, it doesn't take that much to figure that out, right? She's an outcast. She's an outcast. There's no one that wants to be with her. And uh, she's obviously got a reputation. This well is not the only water source for an entire city. There's other sources of water. She's obviously not welcome there. She's obviously not welcome there when other people are there. And so she has to go probably about a half a mile outside the town to fetch her bucket of water by herself. Why is that? Well, because she has brokenness. And Jesus put you know, his finger right on it. You know, hey, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right. You've had five. I mean, can you imagine just the look on her face when he starts unpacking her business right in front of her? You've had five husbands, and the guy you're with now, you're not married to him, and you're living with him. And so we're broken. She's got sin in her life, and she's got brokenness. You know what? That's a picture of us too, right? Now we're broken people. I mean, we've been rejected. We've had difficult relationships. We've had failures. We've had things that have gone wrong in our life. We've got sin. Our relationship with God, and until we come to Christ, our relationship with God is broken. And so we can really relate to the brokenness in this woman. She's broken, she's rejected, and she has great needs in her life. You know, I'm reminded of something that Pastor Rick said a couple weeks ago when we were looking at the exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Pastor Rick taught us this. He said that the rejected are accepted in Jesus. It's just a good reminder that this woman who feels rejected is about to be accepted. (laughs) And it's just a reminder that those of us who felt rejected in this room at different points in our life are accepted in Christ. Because when we look at Jesus, he heals our wounds, and if we surrender our broken pieces to him, he brings restoration into our lives. He can heal what's broken inside of us. He can heal what's broken around us. And so we can relate to the brokenness in this woman. The second thing about this woman is this. She was focused on the physical, but she needed to deal with the spiritual, right? When you look at this exchange that took place between her and Jesus, she comes to get physical water, but her greatest need is a spiritual hydration. Jesus uses the physical water to enter into a conversation about the deeper issue to try to tap into her, her greater need. And so as they start to talk, and he starts to talk about, I mean, if you, if you go back and look at this conversation, I mean, look at what's happening here when, when, when uh, for example, in, in uh, verse 10, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now he's, he's talking spiritually. 
She's not picking it up. She's thinking physically. She says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then he says, she says to him, sir, verse 11, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? (laughs) And on top of that, this, this is a special well from our ancestors, Jacob. Are you saying you're greater than him? Like Jesus is trying to get her to think up here on the spiritual level, and she's camping out down here. Like, what? you don't have anything to get water with. This is a pretty deep well, and now you sound like you're, you know, capping on my ancestors. So, you know, she, she, she can't get out of the, the physical spectrum, and Jesus is trying to take her to deeper places. That's when he pulled the marriage card. You know, he got her attention with that one, didn't he? And so he, she wasn't tracking with him as she was trying to, to, to engage him. And what happened was he was trying to take her to the deeper level. What starts out is Jesus being thirsty and she having the source becomes she's thirsty and he is the source. She came with the physical thirst and Jesus was exposing the spiritual thirst in her. Now we can relate to that, can't we? We can relate to that because a lot of us have been, and maybe some of you still are, going through life thinking about the physical. It's all about what we can touch and see and all that. It's physical issues. And we don't think about the deeper spiritual issues. I'm telling you right now, if you're here today, if you're watching today, and, and, and you don't have a relationship with God, you don't have a belief in Jesus as your Savior, I'm telling you, God right now is using today to try to extract, to try to open, to try to expose what you have as a deeper spiritual issue, a spiritual thirst. But, even, but whether we know Christ or not, we still gravitate toward the physical. I want you to think about some of the challenges that you've had in your life. I want you to think about some of the challenges you may be going through now. What are the odds that you're primarily thinking about those challenges through physical lens, through a physical lens? You're thinking about, man, why am I not happy with my income? Well, maybe it's because you haven't learned the spiritual lesson from God yet about contentment. Maybe you haven't been listening to God has been trying to teach you about contentment. And then you don't have to have more. You don't need more, but you, you can be satisfied in him. Maybe you're looking at relationships that are not going well. You've got rifts in relationships, whether it's friendships or your marriage or family members. And you're going, man, and, and you're, you're trying to do everything you can in your power to fix those things because you're looking through a physical lens when really the issues might be deeper and probably are deeper. Maybe it's because you don't have a mutual shared love and belief in who Jesus is, and right there from the foundation is cracked, and everything else above that is just going to be out of whack because you don't have that mutual love for Christ. It's a spiritual issue that might be actually causing all the other issues. But we're looking through the physical lens. Some of you are having a hard time kicking those addictions. Why can't I stop? Because you're trying everything in your power because you're looking through a physical lens to fix that when really what might be going on is it's a spiritual issue because you haven't tapped into the all-powerful living God who will come and live inside of you and break those chains. And so we drift into the physical instead of thinking about the spiritual. We all have physical needs, but a lot of times the answer is a spiritual answer that even helps with the physical needs. And this is the condition that this woman is in. She's thirsty. And here's what we see. A thirsty soul is going to drink. And Jesus is wetting her appetite <laughs> as he's talking to her. I think the third way we see this woman and how we can relate to her is this. She was spiritual, but she was not saved. And when we say saved, we mean rescued from our sins. That they placed their faith in Jesus as the one who took our sins and put them on the cross and died and put those, put those sins in the grave and rose to conquer death, conquer um, sin. So she was spiritual, but she wasn't saved. I mean, when you look at this conversation, she was not ignorant. She knew her history. Hey, this is our ancestors' well. Do you think he was greater? They have a conversation in there about worship. 
You Jews say we should worship there in Jerusalem. Hey, our ancestors say we should worship here in Mount Gerizim. Like, she's a very informed woman. She's not ignorant. She knew her customs. Why are you a Jew talking to me a Samaritan? We'll get into that in a minute. She was also pretty quick on the draw. You know, she didn't, she didn't miss like, what do you, you want to draw water? You don't have anything. You know, she was quick on the draw and she knew some biblical teaching. Look what she says in John 4, verse 25. Look what she says in verse 25. As they're talking, and they've had this bigger conversation, this bigger context about worship and all these things, she basically tries to put an exclamation point on the end of the conversation to move on. She says, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who's called the Christ, which means anointed one. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So they're having this little conversation. She pulls the Messiah card. Hey, look. Hey, look, one day, Messiah's going to come. God's going to send a Savior. God's going to send this anointed one who's going to come. He's going to clear, clear it all up, so I'm just going to get my water and leave now. And then look what Jesus says to her right in verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You have those little moments where you wish you could just be there? <laughs> I would just love to have been there to watch just, just the look on her face, have my phone ready, you know, a little selfie with her with that look on her face, you know, or something. Like, like you know, oh, the Messiah's going to come. He's going to clear it all up. The person you're talking to, I'm the Messiah. Now, of course, you know, she probably had a little pop-up menu. Okay, guy is crazy. He's, you know, a little extra heat. Maybe he does need some water. I better get him some quick. <laughs> Something's going on. Something's going on. And what's so interesting about this moment is, is if, you, if you start to look at the life of Jesus as he starts his ministry, as he starts in Jerusalem and he's, he's, you know, he's gathering his followers and followers in Galilee and he's, he's showing up in Judea and he's hanging out in Jerusalem, he never made this profound of a proclamation of his Messiahship anywhere else. In fact, if anything, you see the opposite. You see him kind of telling people, keep it down, keep it down, because it would you know, cause political issues and spiritual, you know, it would cause issues. So he's actually telling people, hey, chill out, chill out, stop telling people this stuff. It's good. I'm the son of man. I'm the son of man. He uses code word, right? Son of man which is a prophetic you know, title that he has. But now he's at the well with this woman, the Samaritan, the sinner, if you will, who's broken and no one else is around. And he so clearly and boldly gives her this gift he's given to no one else. I'm the Messiah. Man, how beautiful was that? And how jaw-dropping was that? And here's the reality of the moment. She knew about Christ. She just didn't know Christ. See, at some point in time, that was where all of us were. Some of you still might be there. Okay, I know about God. I know about Christ, but you don't know him. It's a lot like your Facebook friends. Look, some of you on Facebook, you've got friends. You have no clue who those people are, right? Friend requests from so-and-so, you're like, uh, they know three of my friends. I guess I went to school with them. Sure, okay. Yeah, they're your friend, but they're not your friend. You think we're going to be able to get away with that with God? Well, I know God. No, you don't. I know about Jesus. I'll accept him as a friend. And then you're just going to, no, because you can be spiritual and you can be unsaved. We talked about that last week, remember? We looked at the guy Nicodemus. Man, Nicodemus, man he, man, he was spiritual and religious. He was a very religious person. Man, he went to church. He, he had scriptures memorized. He was teaching people about God. And Jesus looked at him and said, what? You need to be born again. You're spiritually dead. This woman was in the same boat, man. She knew about Jesus. She just needed to come to know Jesus because she wasn't saved. But now her appetite was whetted and she's ready to drink because the thirsty soul is going to drink. Some of you are sitting here, you're in that same boat. You know about Christ, you just don't know Christ. 
That's kind of bad news because you don't want to go into eternity without Christ. The good news is you can make a decision for Christ. You can respond. You can RSVP to Jesus' invitation to come to know him. You know, the fourth thing we see about this woman I think we can relate to is this. She shared with others once she met Christ. Look what she did once she met Christ. Look at John chapter 4, verses 27 through 29. Look what goes down here. Verses 27 through 29. So as we're wrapping up the conversation, Justin and his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? It's so interesting that this woman shows up to the well with one thing in mind and leaves with a completely different thing in mind. Jesus absolutely rearranged her priorities because she came with that physical thirst that she wanted quenched. Jesus revealed her spiritual thirst. He's quenching it. We know that this, the fact that she's telling people about Christ and talking this way leads us to believe that conversion is happening in the moment and that she's believing. And we see as we unfold the story more that that, that testified really validates that this woman came to believe in Christ and she was transformed. And she left her little clay water jar there. The thing that she was so fixated about and focused on became meaningless because now she became the vessel. She became the container that carried the message of living water and she took it back to others. And we don't know all about her reputation, but if a woman is going out to the well alone in the middle of the day because she's an outcast, whatever fears, anxieties, reputation that she was concerned about, she threw all those things aside because she went right back into the city and started telling everybody she could about who she met and what he did. Look, the reality of the situation is this. When you meet Christ, that will happen to you. It's an auto-response. And when Christ comes into your life, that you, you can't wait to tell others who he is and what he's done for you. That's why for some of you, if, if, if you've been a Christian for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and, and you can't think of any time you've ever shared someone with Christ, you might need to scratch your head and go, hmm. Because there's an auto-response that when you truly meet the living water, he changes you, and you're transformed, and you start to live new, you won't be able to be quiet about it. You won't be able to be quiet about it, but that's okay, because people that know you are going to look at you, they're going to already know you're a little bit different anyways. So you owe them an explanation anyways. Why are you different, Jesus? <laughs> What's going on with you, Jesus? I met him. You changed me. It's an auto-response. She couldn't wait to share. Because the same thing that a thirsty soul will drink is true, that a satisfied soul will share. Because when Jesus satisfies that thirst you have, you'll share it. You'll share the answers. We do that all the time. Oh, I found a great restaurant. you got to try it out. Man, there's a sale over at such and such. you got to go. Like whenever we find something that we think is good, we tell the people that we know. So if you're not telling the people you know about Jesus, then maybe you don't think he's good. Maybe you don't think he's the real deal. Maybe he hasn't changed your life. It's an auto-response. And obviously, there's all those other nuances, you know, about being loving and caring and wise and tactful and relational, but the bottom line is we can't get away from this. The satisfied soul will share. Man, those are some things about the woman that we can look at and go, I, I think I can relate to those things with her. But what about Jesus. Now we look at Jesus, and he's modeling some things for us. How can we be more like Jesus after looking at how he handled this situation? Well, I think the first thing is this. We see that Jesus made himself accessible and flexible. 
Here's Jesus, the most important person that ever walked the face of the earth. He's, he's on a trip, man. He is going from Judea to Galilee. He's going from point A to point B. He stops and rests. He's hanging out. He makes himself accessible at this well. He's just there. And when he has someone show up, it's kind of like the, you know, you ever get in an elevator with one other person moment? Where it's like you're in an elevator with one person, you're like, okay, do I say hi? Do I not say hi? Awkward, you know? Some of you cheat by just like, what floor would you like, you know? And you press the floor, and like, okay, I talked to the person, you know? Like, like, there's that awkwardness. And so Jesus just made himself accessible, and he's flexing now. He's, he's going, I'm going to interact with this person. I'm going to, I've got this agenda. I really came to the well to rest, but now there's someone here, and I'm going to be accessible to that person. I'm going to be flexible to that person. You know, you and I are the same way. I don't know about you, man, but there's a lot of times when I'm going from point A to point B, or maybe I'm trying to take a, a moment to rest or to do something that, that's important to me, and it just seems like that's when God gives you what we call a divine appointment, right? You're on the way from point A to point B, and all of a sudden God puts this person in your way that's hurting or needs to talk or something's going on, and you're like, Lord, right now, really? Or maybe you're just trying to rest, or you're on vacation. I'm on vacation. I'm off duty as a Christian. Really? So I got stories, but I don't have time. I have to pull them back in, pull them back in. <laughs> when, are, when are we ever off? When are we never not accessible and flexible? And obviously we got to think about Sabbath and rest, and Jesus did pull himself away at different times to charge up and all that stuff, but, but he models accessibility and flexibility. I need that model because there's times when I, that, that I shut down and I, I'm not accessible, I'm not flexible. And I look at Jesus and going, you modeled accessibility and flexibility. So when I go to the wells in my life, when you go to the wells in your life, we have to be accessible and flexible. What wells are you accessible and flexible at? When you go to, to work, to the library, when you go to the gym or the store, when you go to that, that reception or that gathering, or when you're on the airplane, you know, it's all those moments that it's a well. And we have to go, are we going to be like Jesus and be accessible and flexible? Or are we just going to shut everything out and stay in the zone? And it's just a good example to be like Jesus in those moments. The second thing we see is this. Jesus broke through barriers to share his message. And Jesus was a barrier breaker. Some of you already know this stuff. Some of you, this might be new to you. Um, the situation that took place here was huge. Because the moment that woman arrived to the well, it was awkward tension. Not just because it was two people, but because of who it was. Because you've got a man and a woman. And typically in that culture, a man would not address a woman unless her husband was present. You've got a, a, a Jewish person and a Samaritan person. And that's the greatest tension. And that's what she refers to in verse 9. She says, how, do, how is it you, a Jew, are talking to me, a Samaritan? How can you ask me for a drink? If you guys know your history, you know Assyria came in about 722 B.C. They took, all, they took a bunch of the Israelites out of Samaria. And they populated it with a bunch of foreigners. And as those foreigners came in, they intermarried with the remaining Israelites. And because of the cultures and the customs and the belief systems, all of a sudden Samaria became a place where instead of pure worship of the one true God, all these other weird religions came into the mix and they got moshed it up. So now it was kind of this mosh belief system and then they built their own place to worship and all these, other, you know, all these things, all these trappings. And so when the Jews came back, basically in a nutshell, they looked at the Samaritans and went, ooh, you, you guys are heretical and you're half-breeds. And they deemed them unclean. And so now there's been awkward tension between the Samaritans and the Israelites for all these generations. They don't talk. And when they deem someone unclean, you don't talk to them. You don't, you don't touch food. 
that was prepared for them. And you don't drink water from a container they touched and drew up from a well. So as Jesus is talking to her, he is just kicking down barriers left and right. He's talking to a woman alone. He's talking to a Samaritan. Plus, he's a rabbi, and she's a woman probably with reputation. There's all these barriers that Jesus could have said, I can't talk to her because, and instead, he kicked them all down and engaged her. What barriers prevent you and I from sharing Christ? What barriers are in our life? Because once you have Jesus in your life, you, you hold the message of the living water. What cork has been put into your container so you're not spilling out the message? What fear are you carrying? What socioeconomical barriers have you built or maybe feel in the presence of others? What racial barriers may exist? I mean, we're fooling ourselves. If we don't watch our headlines and go, there's still racial barriers that need to be knocked down. There's all these things that, that Jesus just knocked through to give his message, and we have that message now. He's given it to us. We've got to become barrier breakers too. We've got to become barrier breakers if we're going to make a difference in this world for Christ and bust through the things that make uh, us feel awkward or intimidated and all those things. We have to become barrier breakers. I, I challenge you to do something today, something in this couple of days that's out of your comfort zone to, to represent Christ and make a difference. You know, one of the simplest things you can do, we've talked about this before, some of you do this. You know, a lot of you are going to go out to eat today, maybe tomorrow. You know what, if you love Jesus and you want to make a difference in this world, maybe, maybe one of the things you can try to do is this. Before you eat and you just build a relationship with your server, you can just say, hey, we're about to pray for our food. Before we do, is there anything we can pray for you about? I have yet to have a person say no. They're, they're usually caught off guard like, oh, Wow. You know, they kind of give you the, like, kind of like your awkward look, you know, whatever. Because it's different. I'll guarantee you this, they'll never forget you that day. You'll be a customer that's very different because you actually showed care. Instead of demanding stuff from them, you showed them respect and care and offered to pray for them. I've had, I've, I've had, I've had a waitress break down in tears like that next to our table. Everybody's hurting. There's all these parched, thirsty people around us. Little things like that that aren't typical is a, is a barrier-breaking thing. There's other ways. When you see someone hurting, how can I pray for you? We've got to become barrier-breakers and not be held back by our fears and intimidation because a satisfied soul is going to share. Thirdly, we see Jesus present himself as the life-giving, soul-quenching Messiah, the Savior. When he converted this, this, this conversation from a physical issue to a spiritual issue, and when he started using this language, and look at this language he uses in verse 14. He says, the water that I will give him will become to him, to become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When he's talking about the spring. He's, he's not saying, I have this little pond, this little pool of stagnated water that I'm willing to share with you. This is intentional language. He says, this is a spring. This has a constant flow. It's going to bubble up. It's not going to run out. I'm so glad that Jesus is a life-giving spring that never runs out because I need to drink from him every day. How about you? And I need strength every day. I need hope every day. I need peace every day. I need joy every day. What day do we wake up and not need Jesus? What day do we wake up and not need to drink a massive five-gallon bucket of Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Life-giving spring, and he's not going to run out. You're never going to turn on the knob, and nothing comes out. He says it's going to well up in him. This, this spring that I'm offering you, it's free. He says it's a gift. 
You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't be good enough. Don't try to work your way. Don't insult Jesus by trying to be a good person to earn it. He gave it to you freely. It's a free gift. And once you have it in you, it's in you and it springs up. Look, we live in a world where we try to get that satisfaction from the outside in, right? If I could just make more money. If I could just have that bigger house. If I could just have that new toy, that shiny thing. If I could just get that person. If I could just get that accomplishment. If I could have that success. If I could have... We, we, we reach out hoping that when we pull it in, ah, I'm fulfilled, I'm satisfied. And Jesus uses intentional language. No, it's going to be a spring in you, welling up. God works how? Inside out. The reason some of you are sitting here and some of you watching the line just keep trying thing after thing after thing after thing to satisfy is because you've never let Jesus in and you've never let him start working from the inside out spring of living water. He came as the life-giving, soul-quenching Messiah. And if that's how he's going to present himself, guess what? That's how we should present him too. The people that you love and care for and that you hope that before Jesus comes back or before they die, they get right with Christ. You need to make sure that they know that they've heard somehow that Jesus is a life-giving, soul-quenching Savior who brings hope and joy and peace. Tell him with your mouth and tell him with your life. That's who your Savior is. And lastly, we see that Jesus kept his focus on the needed harvest. He kept his focus on the needed harvest. Look at a couple verses with me. Look at verse 30. She goes back to the town. She starts telling everybody because a satisfied soul is going to share. Look what verse 30 says. It says, they went out of the town and were coming to him. So these people are like, wow, we got to go meet this dude. This is pretty crazy. So they start coming out. In the meantime, Jesus' disciples come back. They've got food. Hey, Master, we got some food. He's going, I'm good. They're thinking, why did we just take this little errand then? <laughs> I'm good because I've got food you don't know about. That food to, deal the, to do the will of my Father. I've got to keep my eyes on the harvest. And he's hanging with the disciples. And look what he says to them in verse 35. He says, do you not say that there yet are four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Who's he talking about? The people coming. Those Samaritans that are coming to the well. He's telling his disciples, look, there comes the harvest. We've got to work the field, boys. These people are parched. They're thirsty. And we live, we live surrounded by thirsty, parched people. If Jesus were to walk your neighborhood with you, what would he point out? If Jesus were to walk your workplace with you, what would he walk, what would he point out? If Jesus were to walk through school with you, what would he point out? Hey, look at that cool classroom. Hey, I like the way the painting on the wall. Hey, I like the way that guy painted his house. That's pretty cool. Hey, nice ride, you know? I think he'd look and he'd say, look at the harvest. Look at the harvest you live by. Look at the harvest that you work next to. Look at the harvest that you walk down these hallways with. Look at the harvest start working the field, and we see fruit when that comes. Look at verse 39. Man, this is so gorgeous. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And now all the Samaritans who one day thought they were 
not deserving of God's love or, or they, they had it different, they had their own corner on the market, came to know truth and believed. We said this year at New Life 1024, we're gonna pray for thousands of people and we're gonna share with thousands of people. We're three months in, I hope you're being faithful. Don't let up. Keep praying. Keep sharing. The soul-quenching, life-giving Savior to the people that need to know. Because a thirsty soul wants to drink and a satisfied soul is going to share. This woman isn't the only person that was never the same. This room is full of people that are never the same because they drink in Christ. I want to hear from one of us today. We're going to have a friend come share her story about how she met Jesus and drank and never was the same. Would you guys welcome up with me Melanie Spencer today? I'm more nervous for this crowd. <laughs> it's large. <laughs> there's more. There's just a few more of them. Okay. And don't forget, there's a bunch of people watching online, too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Just, just throwing that in there, just saying. <laughs> All right, my name's Melanie, so hi, everybody. <laughs> Pastor Chad asked me to share my story, so I'm going to go ahead and read it, because I'm pretty nervous. Um, all right. I grew up going to church. My parents took my brother and I to church every Sunday. I was raised around religion, had heard about Christ, but did not know Christ. As a young kid, I struggled with anger, and as I got older... I started to suffer from deep depression. I never felt like I fit in anywhere in school. I started getting high at the age of 15. Very quickly, I became addicted to heroin. To make a long story short, I spent 11 years of my life participating in a, in a lot of evil and ungodly things. In June of 2012, I was sent to Trumbull County Jail for six months. There I opened my Bible and started to read the scriptures. After I finished my six months, I was sent straight to a treatment facility in Cleveland. The judge told me to stay in Cleveland and to never come back. At the treatment facility, I started reading my Bible every day and memorizing verses. Still asking myself though, does God really love me? Can Jesus really save me? As I kept praying, as I kept reading and praying, I slowly started to feel God's love. I would get on my knees daily and cry out to him, asking for his help and for him to save me and take the pain away that I felt in my heart. I was broken and torn apart. My soul was darkened and so damaged. Over the next days and months, God really started working on me. I started to understand the significance of the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. He gave me joy, joy, joy to be with others, which wasn't there before. He started working on my heart. I started to desire to live more for him and to sin less. He started restoring my heart. It took time, but his love for me started to change my perspective on life. I felt hope for once. As I prayed more and learned more, I slowly gave over parts of my life to the Lord. Jesus showed me his love and mercy. I never thought a girl like me deserved love until I encountered Jesus. He reminds me daily that I am his daughter. At work and around friends, I am not shy to let them know about Jesus and how he loves us. I ask friends and people at work if they know the story of the gospel. I remind them that Jesus loves them. 
The Samaritan woman and John needed a savior, and so did I. God redeemed me and saved my soul. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'm not done. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm very grateful that you came and had the courage to share your story today. And, and uh, you're full of, there's a room full of people here and people watching online <laughs> that rejoice with you <laughs> and celebrate you and are inspired by the Savior that you met. And who would have known that your well would have been, you know, some of these facilities you went to, but you encountered Jesus there and you changed your life. And we're very grateful for that and we celebrate with you. Thank you for sharing your story. We're so Thank grateful for that. <laughs> Our God loves to change lives. He loves to restore lives. He loves to flow out his living water to all who would drink. I'm so glad that most of you have probably drank. Some of you have not drank. Dipped your toe in the water. You've accepted the friend request of Jesus, but you don't really know him. It would be a mistake for you to leave here today understanding that and not respond to that. I invite you to respond. That you would simply just tell Jesus, I need you. I believe in you. I've got a lot to learn. Come into my life. I'm drinking today. Change me. Make me new. I'm going to follow you. If you do that today, I want to invite you to, to take that response card and the chair in front of you. And before you leave this room, would you just write down, I gave my life to Christ today. I drank of the living water. Whatever you need to do, just put, I gave my life to Christ. And in a little bit, there's going to be some baskets that come around. You can drop that off. And we're going to follow up with you. We're going to say, man, congratulations. We would love to share with you how to grow in this new relationship with Jesus and how to experience new life in Christ. For those of us who've done that, man, I hope God has just hit you wherever he needs to hit you. What barrier needs to be kicked down? What, what person is he continuing to impress on you that you just need to have the courage and boldness to go talk to? We just want to be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the reminder that you change lives, that you bring new life. Thank you for Melanie and her story. God, bless her, grow her, continue to have her reach out to others as she pours out the message of the living water found in Jesus. I thank you for those who serve here and pray here and give here so that people like Melanie can come to know you. God, may you continue to move in our hearts, Lord God, to draw close to you. Lord, for those here in this room that don't know you, God, would you give them the courage and clarity to give their life to you today? Whatever fear is holding them back, they would kick it down and embrace and drink. And God, for the rest of us, that we'd have the courage to share. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all said.